Blog Talk Radio. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. Come Hey guys, it's day 43 of the Come Get Some Experience here with Miami Sits Man on your Twitter feed. It's me, Chris C., and you can also follow me on Twitter at CGS Here, and you can email me using CGS Here at gmail.com. Now, uh, I got part two here today with Brian Bihar, and uh, we continue where we left off. He's going to talk a lot about um, the experience in the writing room, what it's like to be one of many writers. Um, you know, the relevance and success of Full House and Fuller House and the fan base that that has. And there's also going to be some talk uh, about John Ritter, the, the, the dearly departed uh, awesome, awesome actor, uh, John Ritter. And uh, we get all his thoughts on that. And plus, we start talking about the Huffington Post a little bit as we lead into next week's episode, which is part three. And I'll have 10 questions. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more at the end of the show. After interview about an upcoming interview I did, and uh, and to try to get your guys' feedback. So please stay tuned at the conclusion of Brian Bihar's today's uh, part two interview, and, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you about that then. Here's uh here's Brian Bihar. Like I would say about Wilfred, like it was the most intense upper level philosophy and psychology class I've ever taken, and I've taken a lot of them. <laughs> you know, but this was just like, you know, just the, the the notion that everything you wrote for you know for those. You know, for those of you who don't know, like Wilfred was a show where Elijah Wood befriends Jason Gann and Wilfred, who is a man in a dog suit, but, but only he sees him as, as, as a man. Everyone else sees him as a dog. <laughs> and, and like even us as writers did not know what the showrunner had in mind of whether it was real or not real. So every single choice you made at every step of every episode <laughs> had to stand up to the scrutiny of it could be either his perspective or it could actually be real and like it had to work both ways and like you know the answer on what it actually was wasn't even revealed until the series finale and but by then we were long off the show i was like i'm gonna watch it i'm curious too you know? but like that's gonna be hard like that was a, like that was a show where you're like oh my god that must have been so fun it was rewarding but like there wasn't a ton of laughter but, but there was a a ton of really intense really high level debate about, you know, the meaning of life and philosophy and, you know, and like, and sort of mental illness and, you know, I mean, that was a series that began with a guy, Elijah Wood, attempting suicide and then like, like getting interrupted and, I mean, so like, there, it's interesting, like, as the form has moved away from just like the traditional multi-camera shot in front of a studio audience type of thing to, in many cases, things that are more filmic, just the range of tone, just in the all the time we've been doing this, has, has really started to vary, which is harder. Because um, oftentimes it's those shows where the tone is unclear, they're the ones yeah. that have trouble sort of finding the, finding their footing. Like, I've been on I've been on uh, dramas that were meant to be funny, and I've been on, I've been on uh, comedies where the like you know had like serious overtones, and like those are the ones where you're usually there late into the night because you know it could go either way. Like 
a show like that's the shot in front of a studio audience that we've been on, whether it's Eight Simple Rules or Last Man Standing or Fuller House or Old Christine, like those at least you know, like it's a, it's a multi-camera in front of an audience. It's meant to get laughs. Right. So this is, like the tone is the tone is sort of built in. So like those are you know in some ways in some ways easier, but it's, but in some ways it's harder because you have to actually you actually have to get laughs because if you, if it's not funny it will be immediately exposed the second it hits the audience. Right. A lot of these single cameras, you know, a lot of the single camera shows can sort of, you know, claim, tell you they're funny in the press release, and then you're like, <laughs> I didn't really laugh, but I, I guess tech, I guess it is a half an hour, so it must be a comedy. <laughs> it must be you a know, comedy. So you know, they keep they keep telling me it is transparent. You know, I'm not going to name any you know shows, but like there are there are a lot of shows, you know, that are very skilled half hours. That I don't consider comedies, uh, but I consider really good shows. You know, like like I don't laugh a ton at Transparent, whereas I laugh a ton at Veep. It's weird that they exist in the same right. Emmy universe, but uh, you know, I guess it's just I guess it it is a good thing rather than a bad thing that the form of the half hour is expanding to include you know really a multitude of of styles and filmic looks and, and different uh, levels of comic tone. So I guess that's good. Yeah. Unless you're like me who just, who just wants to sit on the couch and pitch jokes. And I'm like, just, just let's, let's just do real sitcoms. Right. Well, one of my favorite I'm things. Not great. Yeah, uh, I'm with change, as you could probably figure out. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things, I don't know how you feel about it, is when, when there is a, a balance of tone, like a comedy that's really ridiculous, over-the-top funny, and then once in a while, they throw a curveball at you, um, you know, a little bit of drama. One one person who was really good at that. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. Uh, we talked about old, old stuff, old references. Susan Harris. Anything yeah. she ever touched was gold. Wow, that's a name I you don't hear, uh, you don't hear as much. But that absolutely, like she was. Uh, for those who don't know, was the creator of the Golden Girls. Of everything we watched as kids growing up, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, 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 she once. Well, well, okay, here's how long ago it was. Like, she once had three of the four sitcoms on NBC on Saturday night. Okay, so a that they were still showing original program on Saturday night. Right. NBC even had sitcoms. Like that just shows you how long ago it was. You know, when I broke in, like I remember, like my second season in 1997, the major networks had. 62 sitcoms on their schedule, including NBC had 18 alone just on one network in one wow. season. And now, and like, you know, I, I, I've, I've kind of stopped counting, but I mean, there were many seasons sort of in the 2000s where if you were to add up all of the networks, they didn't have as many as NBC had in that one year. You know, so like there's definitely, there, you know, there's just in the time that I've been doing it, there have been, a, you know, a number of ebbs and flows, you know, and those, you know, think pieces in the New York Times about, is the sitcom dead? But, you know, it, 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 it's pretty resilient, you know. It, yeah. it seems to bounce back. Uh, you know, it, it, it's now taking different forms. I mean, you know, having things on, on streaming platforms and on basic cable and on premium cable is just, you know, just opened up a ton more opportunities. You know, when I broke in, like, you know, all I wanted to do was write on a network show, 
and you know, I think you know, probably our first 12 to 15 jobs were on networks. It never occurred to me that, like, you know, the latter half of our career would sort of be saved by the, you know, the proliferation of cable and right. you know, the advent of of streaming. So, hallelujah, I'll take it. Yeah, there was only three networks, right? Three networks: ABC, yeah, NBC, yeah. and uh, CBS. And if you couldn't, you know, there's not that much work to go around. Not that many programming hours. Right, and then you know, and then Fox, you know, like Fox became a network, uh, you know, a little before we broke in. So, uh, you know, we've done, you know, we did Ben Stacy and Andy Richter at, at Fox. Um, but yeah, no, it gets the jobs as you move up the as you move up the ladder. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna lie. Like the jobs become more scarce as you get older um, at the network level because there's a million people who've moved up. You know, people have moved up the chain every year and now we're all kind of at a bottleneck at sort of the same position like you know sort of a you know a, a co-executive producer but everyone's kind of a, everyone who I've ever worked with is sort of a co-executive producer now and yeah you know, unless you're unless you're someone who has like you know friends on their resume or Seinfeld or you're like the young up and coming you know hotshot team um Let's just say I'm fortunate that there are, are are other avenues, and you know something like Fuller House came along. Uh, was certainly not expecting it. I was of an age where I was a little too old to have seen the original because I was already writing TV when it was on, so it was obviously not meant for me. Right. But it had been on in the, like in a continuous loop in my household. <laughs> you know, I have two kids, and like whenever. They were homesick from school, and no matter how old they've gotten, we still tape them. Wow. The Brady Bunch and, and Full House. And, um, like, I don't think I understood the magnitude of its popularity until, you know, until really I started doing it. So I was like, you know what, I don't I don't know if I'm going to go to this meeting. You know, I, I, my, you know, my goal has never been to write, like, stuff that was for children, per se. And this is admittedly, a, like, a like kind of a big Ted family show, so it doesn't really fall into it. But, like, I never wanted to kind of fall into the kids' ghetto because it's just not my style. It's a little broader than I like to do. And once you do it, it's kind of hard to get out of. And my daughter was like, you know, and she was like 14 or 15 at the time. Don't think I'm a bad parent, but she's like, do not fuck this up. (laughs) Like, she was was really smart about, like, you know, because, like, for her and all of her friends, Full House was an institution yeah, that they grew up with that that had you know that had been like such a soothing factor over over the years throughout their lives, and you know we can t- you know we can talk a little more about it, but like that's what I've discovered is that anyone who is like pretty much between the ages of like eight and thirty eight, this is their show, yeah. and like that is a massive reservoir of goodwill to walk into a new <laughs> series with. Well, it's already won, it's right? Pardon me. It's already won an award, hasn't it? A Teen's Choice Award, I believe. Uh, it did. It uh, thank you. It won. It won the Teen Choice Award for Best Comedy, and then uh, just two days ago, the nominees for the People's Choice Award came out, and this is you'll, <laughs> you'll 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 kind of get a sense of like uh, one of these things is not like the other, <laughs> but like they have us in the best, not even best new, but best streaming comedy. So the so the, the nominees are Veep, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Shameless, The Mindy Show, and Fuller House. Wow. Which, 
you know, it, that is some very lofty competition, and I'm well aware that it's, you know, the the, the appeals are, are, are very different. Yeah. But just the fact that, I mean, I, you know, I've been on so many failed shows, and I've been <laughs> on so many shows where I could do a full season, and people are like, oh, I never even heard of that. When is that going to be on? Uh, no, it's already been on. <laughs> it's canceled. You know, <laughs> Whereas, this, you know, this is – like, I've had more people ask me for tickets for one season of this show to sit in the studio audience than the previous 20 shows I've been on combined. And, I, and I'm not even – you know, I'm really not making it up or, or trying to be self-aggrandizing. Like, you know, like, this has nothing to do with me. This is, you know, this is Jeff Franklin's baby. You know, he created the original. He he's always felt that there was – you know, unfinished business and more stories to tell, and 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 an audience that that cared about these characters. And um, I'm just happy to help, you know, update it in any way, and happy to make it funnier in any way. But you know, in many ways, I'm just you know, I'm very fortunate and along for the ride. And uh, well, I plan on plan on staying as long as they'll have me. So, knock on wood. The, uh, uh, season, season two comes out on Netflix December 9th. Never nice. I, I've never I, I've never promoted anything before. Wow, that that felt like I was on like Letterman or something. It was natural. Yeah. yeah. Well, I gotta say, man, it's, it's a true, yeah, true testament to the to the idea of just keep you know keep with it because good things are coming if you keep going. Yeah, and there've been I mean, believe me, there there have and I you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of school, but there are many times where we thought of giving giving up. There were seasons where jobs were kind of scarce. You know where, you know the the desire for people to buy pilots from you know like you know like you kind of have a moment where you're, you, oh you're kind of hot and people want to hear from you and which is not to say that you know, like I think we sold a pilot to ABC a couple of years ago but that has been our, I think our first network sale in like maybe six or seven years so like, you know there there are just realities that come with age that like, that people are always looking for the hot new young voices and when you know it, it is no secret that I turned 50 this year I talk about it on Twitter and the Huffington Post and Facebook and right. stuff so, so I'm, I'm not hiding it like like a lot of people wish I would including my writing partner and my agent but <laughs> you know there, 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 there's, there's just you know there's, there's truth like you know I can't stop time but uh, you know I'm not share. I'm seeing the best that I can. I'm seeing more people than ever before, myself included, in their 40s or 50s that are just now getting into it. You've been doing it for for a while now, but just now getting into it. So I think there's a place for all of us, really. I, I do. I do it, and I, and I also I agree with you. And now that there's so many more avenues, that, you know, that you can you can do a an online show and you can. Uh, shoot YouTube videos and you can make your own podcast you know there's such a doing yourself ethos out there that did not exist you know you know even like almost a decade into my career like I still felt like oh I am I am beholden to what other people will let me write like right. if someone will buy a pilot from me then I'm allowed to write it and now I'm like I you know like I'm furious about the election I'm going to sit down and you know, pen an angry screed, and I put it on Facebook, and I was like, oh, like, 600 people liked it on Facebook, so I, you know, <laughs> I turned it into a Huffington Post column, and now it's, you know, it's, you know, it's been liked, liked and shared, you know, by like 1,200 people, and I'm like, 
I didn't even know I was going to write that today, but like, there's so many more just opportunities in every venue, like you know, not just you know, not just narratively, but you know, and not just comically, but just to have your voice out there. You, you know, even Twitter has been like you know, for all all the hand wringing about what it's done to the you know the level of discourse in the country, the fact that it has democratized the ability for people to get their voice out, and anyone. Anyone can say something, and anyone can be retweeted, and anyone can, you know, have their thoughts heard. Like that, that to me, the the benefits certainly uh, outweigh the negatives. And there, you know, there are, you know, um, you know, a, a, a plethora of negatives. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> we see them. <laughs> believe me, as someone as someone who received a high a high number of violently anti-Semitic tweets. Uh, during the past week, the, the last wow. week of the election, um, but that's uh, that's for another day. That's what, <laughs> you can bring me and the uh, Anti Defamation League on for a joint uh, a joint podcast. So we we'll, might have we'll to. Keep it fun for now. <laughs> well, I'll ask yeah. you one more question about the writing because I know we're, we're winding down on time here, but um, you've been great. Cool. I mean, not cool. Not cool is over, but uh, it's, thank it's, God uh, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, oh, oh, thank God. This is over. <laughs>
swarthy Mediterranean guys. I think that was going to be my caption. And I get a picture of him, and I put it on Facebook, and I look at it, I'm like, oh, my God. We look like a before and after picture of the greatest diet. Like, I look like I had just fucking swallowed Gilbert Grape's mother standing next to him. You know, and, like, people, I'm like. What a strange reference. I'm like, guys, do you think I gained a little weight? They're like, well, I wouldn't say morbidly obese. I'm like, wait a second. That wasn't one of the choices. So he's a great, you know, like, they're all really super about, you know, about being back there. But, my goodness, that that is a good-looking man. He's uh, pretty easy on the peepers. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, the audiences love these guys, like, all of them. Right. Like, I'm when I, when people, like there were people for the when we filmed the, the the new pilot, there were people like camped out and had traveled from around the world to be there, and there were people who like were crying just when they when they lifted the the scrim and you saw the set for the first time. I mean, like the level of, of attachment that a lot of people have to that show and to even that home is pretty is pretty astounding to me. Like the the opening uh, trailer that I've never been on a show that cut a trailer, but like Netflix for season one cut a trailer, and it was nothing but like sounds of like from the show, a Miranda Lambert song and an empty house. I think it was viewed 13 million times. Wow! And I cried every time I saw it. And I didn't even know the show that well, but like that's you know, it is it is very rewarding, just because it's so often not the case to to be able to work on something where people care. You know, and it's like right. you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of hipster writers obviously aren't Fuller House fans. Like, <laughs> I'm well aware, you know, where it sort of falls in the family universe, but, like, everyone I know whose kids watch it, and, you know, I've come to accept that, like, all right, like, that's not exactly what I set out to do. I thought I was going to be writing edgy or fair, and I have, but, like, people love it, and I'm not going to fight that. I think I'm... Uh, I'm going to enjoy it for certainly for what it is, and, and anything that can resonate with an audience, whoever that audience is, you know, you just have to accept that there, there's some value to that. And, uh, yeah. If it ain't broke, just keep telling those stories. Yeah, no, it is not. It is not broke. Um, Netflix doesn't give out ratings, so it's always hard to tell how the show's doing. But there, there was, there is an independent company that published the ratings, and it, apparently they said that. Uh, the first season of Fuller House was the most watched show last season on all of television. Wow! And, and then it actually, and then it actually passed Walking Dead, Big Bang, and Game of Thrones in the demo. And that doesn't even count. So that doesn't even include the children's audience. That's just 18 to 49, wow. which just shows there's even there's even an untapped adult market for it. Now, mm-hmm. when you know, Netflix is like, no, those numbers are wildly inaccurate. It's like I'm finally on a hit show. And the one place that won't acknowledge that that it's on. But uh, there might be a reason you know, for that. <laughs> there is a reason. Yeah, they don't have to. They're like, no, you know, we don't have. We don't have to get into some specific reasons that they don't have to pay you for if they don't if they right. acknowledge it. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it is a. But like, I do think just anecdotally, um, there is there was a huge untapped market that we like couldn't couldn't have ever truly anticipated. But like I don't know a I don't know a kid who hasn't seen it. It's awesome. And that's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy because that's not you know the kids' TV thing is in the even the family stuff. I mean I've done I guess I guess you know Eight Simple Rules and Old Christine 
Last Man Standing, we're all, you know, we're all family shows, but, like, you know, this one obviously skews a, a, a teeny bit younger, but uh, it's not, like, out of the sort of the mainstream of, of, of stuff that we've done that, that, that's worked. And the ones that have worked tend, have tended to be more family-oriented, like you, like you said. That's good. Uh, when you worked on Eight Simple Rules, were you around during the time that um, uh, John Ritter uh, uh, passed away? No. No. Um, we came in in season three, which was the final season. And, mm. Yeah, I should, I should say, like, you know, like many of the writers, had, you know, had been held over from, you know, from when John was there. And, like, there was, like, I've never heard of a more beloved wow. person, let alone act. You know, like, I mean, people, like, people just, like, it, it, it was it was good to bring in new energy as far as other writers, because the people who were there were like remained remained rightfully devastated because like they you know they just like it, it, they didn't love him because he died like right. someone died who who they had already like grown incredibly attached to so we were there on a season where um, David Spade had joined the show and James Garner had chose, had, had uh, joined the show and. Adam Arkin was there as a love interest for Katie Seagal. So, like, we were telling, like, we were telling different stories and, you know, you, you know, there, I think there were still, you know, like, moments where you would, you know, you would honor his memory, but it was like, you know, it was sort of an attempt to give the show a new life. And it, it was very, it was really fun and it was really funny, but, you know, there was always sort of the specter of, of someone, die, you know, and it's, and it's different when a, it's different than, like, you know, when a character dies then it, it, when the, when you know that the actual actor has died it definitely gives things more poignancy and more and more resonance when you when you talk about them but there is always sort of a true cloud of sadness that's going to hang over a show like that so um i understand why it ultimately went away but it, i mean it was still a very rewarding experience and like you know we we ended up writing a lot of the David Spade episodes, like there was one with Pamela Anderson, you know. So like, there was uh, it was fun, but uh, you can never entirely escape, you know, sort of the reality of the went on behind the scenes. Well, it's like the heart the heart of the show died. The heart of the show was ripped out, and then you know you're trying to replace it with with you know with another heart. That's yeah, sort of, you know, it's a fine heart, yeah, but it's not the it, same. Yeah, and you don't really turn to David Spade for heart. <laughs> it's just a different experience yeah. altogether. It's a different experience. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's like a, yeah, that's a Band-Aid with like a Blues Clues on it. You know, like it's it's not the you know, it's not the same thing. But you know, it was a very noble effort to try to, because you know, people had, I mean, you know, not to minimize any of it, but like that show was, was going to run forever. That was one of the few sort of breakout family uh, multicams in, in the 2000s that was like, and that was one that was it was going to run for years. So, like, I mean, obviously I'm not saying that the tragedy is that the show didn't run, but it, it was something that people had embraced and, you know, they, they, they sort of loved him and loved that family. Um, with, yes, without the heart, it was it was a different show, and it felt, you know, my, my guess is to the, the real viewers, it felt a little cobbled together. But, like, you know, at, you're kind of just sort of doing, like, you know, battlefield triage at that point in terms of right. just trying to trying to keep the, you know, the, you know, the trains running. So it was a, 
like I said, a noble effort, but I also understand why they felt that three years was sufficient. Yeah, John Ritter's the kind of guy that you see pop up again. You go, oh, he's back, and you get real excited about it because you really enjoy his work, so that's that's one of those things. No, and I was like that as a fan. I, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize how much I missed him. Right. And then you're like, when, when, when you see him on a sitcom, you're like, why hasn't he been on a sitcom, you know, all this time? You know, there are certain people who are just savants at the skill, at, at, at this specific medium, like whether it's John Ritter or Michael J. Fox or Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Like, there are certain people who are just great at sitcoms. And, right. know, and anytime you see them, you, you want to see them more. And you're like, wow, why 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 are they not always on television? Yeah, that was just a that just is something that compounded the tragedy. Is you know people were starting to rediscover him and remember how much they enjoyed and missed him, and that was you know that was behind the scenes that was felt uh, just as much you know because you had a lot of people there who you know who had really strong attachments to him as people and like so you know. Yeah, that was sad all around. And so uh, let's let's not end on a sad. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's what I do here. Um, what I normally do. <laughs> by, by the way, you've been awesome. Um, what I do here usually is I um, I'm some filibustering. Now, what I do here is I do ten questions. Uh, yeah, ten questions. Think fast is all my guess. And it's basically just a bunch of nonsense. So I'll ask you a question. It might be nonsense. It might be deep. It might be anything. Uh, but you can pass if you don't like the question, and then we'll just have some fun with it. Um, and that's oh, usually how I end. Uh, what's that? Well, now I might go get my Xanax. This seems scary, <laughs> but go ahead. Before we address that, I do want to address your Huffington Post articles I was reading. Um, there are some yes, things uh, that really speak to your character and who you are. Um you talk a lot about, you know, I mean, of course, there's the, and again, this is not a long enough show to get into it, uh, uh, tragedy in your life, depression, uh, and the fact that you're a sensitive guy, you, you cry at uh, movies and TV. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. Come on. Come on. Yeah.